Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Yeah, how we doing, church? We good at the 9 a.m. So glad you're with us uh, in the house, online, unfiltered radio. Glad for all you that are listening to us, um, podcast, live stream. So glad you're with us today. Next week, we start a brand new series um, called The Wonder of Christmas, which generally should start today, but I had another message I really wanted to get in, so we moved it to next week. Um, but The Wonder of Christmas, and we're just going to talk about uh, for a couple weeks and then kind of tie it into Christmas Eve over our four services that... Um, like the wonder of Christmas can turn easily into I wonder, and there's a lot of questions around um, just even the story and its relevance to us and how we can really lean into it in a practical way. And so um, I'm going to, I think, go a little different direction uh, this year, and so we're going to do that for a couple weeks. And Angela already said about Winter Wonderland, but it's same, um, it's, the same is true with this series. Like, this is a perfect time to invite somebody. In fact, you'll probably find this time of year, even more than Easter or anything else, people are more open um, just because it's just the thing you do in our culture. Like, I should maybe go to church. And so um, use that, leverage that, because that invite, and specifically the series could change everything for them. And I don't overstate that. So next week, be here, bring your crew with you uh, and we'll start that uh, brand new series. And I don't know if I introduced myself, but I'm Bryant, lead pastor here, if you don't know me. Um, I, I didn't need a clap. I just was, um, just so you know, I'm not some random guy. Um, but we're in this series right now called Awakenings. This is part six, actually, longer than normal. Um, and we've been talking about how to grow faith, get our faith back. Maybe your faith has wavered. You feel like you lost it some time ago. And the stories, honestly, through the series have been incredible. And, and some of the stories that I'm most interested in, which maybe probably doesn't surprise you with what I do, but I love the stories of people's conversion. Like, how did they find faith? How did they find faith in Jesus? What did that journey look like? But I'm equally as interested in deconversion stories. Um, I, I, in fact, I do a lot of listening and reading and, and looking at different podcasts around just the fascination I have with how people got there. Like, what is their story of deconversion, which is a kind of a big word you'll hear a lot um, culturally. And generally what you will find um, in deconversion stories is it, it's a process. And a lot of times it's a process that is brought on or is the catalyst is a negative event. Like something goes off the rails, something flies out of control. They walk through maybe some kind of dark moment or tragedy. And it's in those times, and, and all of us can relate to this, like that's the moments where sometimes you're tempted to walk away from God. You're tempted to not pray. But what's also interesting is like conversion stories have similar kind of dynamics where somebody is walking through something painful, experienced some kind of injustice, some kind of suffering, and that is the thing, rather than leading them to walk away, actually leads them to look up for the first time. And like may, maybe there is a God, or maybe I should reconnect with God, or may, I, I need something to make it through this season. In fact, a lot of the language in those seasons people use will, will be like they found God or they got religion. The only problem with that in, in some of those cases is in those moments where everything is out of control and you get religion, you find yourself easily getting rid of that same religion when things start to go back up and to the right. Like as soon as things are good, you're not as desperate anymore and you don't really feel the same need for God. But there definitely is stories over and over and over again of people that walk through tragedy and then they start to ask the question, where's God? Like, where's God in this? What's God doing in this? Why isn't God shown up in this? And a lot of times they don't get really good answers and they don't feel like the answers are adequate. And so in those moments, it's just easy to walk away. But here's what's really interesting, and then I'll get to really where I wanna go in a few minutes, but here's what's really interesting, is those stories, though, are not as common as you think. And generally when people, this is not everybody, but generally when a lot of people walk through those deconversion moments of where's God, I'm not getting a good answer, I'm gonna walk away, a lot of times they use the argument of other people's pain and suffering as reason for them not to believe. 
In fact, one of the things that I put um, in my notes is those who leverage injustice and suffering as an argument against the existence of God usually leverage injustice and suffering experienced by other people, not their own. And the, the thing is, like, it's, it's a global suffering. It's how could God allow this? How could God allow this injustice to go on? How could God allow people to suffer in this way? And you've heard the argument, or again, maybe you've made the argument, but it goes something like this. If God is good, why is there so much injustice and suffering in the world? And, and here's what I would suggest. And I don't suggest this so that you would believe different, like that's up to you, or that you would change your mind. That's not even my point, but you should find somebody. If that's kind of your argument, you should sit down with somebody because there's people all around. In fact, there's people all around you right here. You should sit down with somebody who has walked through the dark night of the soul or walked through pain and suffering and somehow they have maintained faith and confidence in God anyway. And not to change your mind, but just to give you a different context and a different perspective that it is possible. And here's what I put in my notes, and I say this as graciously as I can, but it seems disingenuous, disingenuous. I'm gonna try that one more time, third pass. It seems disingenuous to leverage the suffering of people who believe in God as evidence that there is no God. Like, leverage your own story, leverage what you've been through, but it's kind of disingenuous to borrow somebody else's story because that's their story. That's their story of pain and suffering and walking through injustice and, and not feeling like God had moved on their behalf. And in many cases, their story is actually a story of great faith in spite of all of that. It's confidence in God in spite of all of that. It's finding a way to go, I don't see you. I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know why you would allow this. I don't know how this could go on, but I'm going to trust you anyway. I'm going to follow you anyway. But listen, if your story is a story of what you've walked through, I get it. Like you have every right to look at your story and your experience and what's happened to you and go, I don't know if I can follow Jesus. I don't know how all of this is reconciled. And that's amazing. But the thing I would encourage you on is don't borrow somebody else's story as reason for you to not believe in God when in many cases they believed in God the entire time. But here's what you also know if you've walked through stuff, and, and, and all of us know this, like as, as painful as it is, there's people around you, there's people you know, they've been through seemingly identical experiences. In fact, you've walked through stuff and, and you could point to other people to go, I, I think that they've experienced worse than me. And again, somehow, somehow they kept trust in God. Somehow they maintained faith in God. And the big question is, what makes the difference? How do you do that? How do you get there? How do you keep going? And so the first thing I would say is what I said a second ago. I would seriously recommend this. Find somebody who has that story, who've experienced something like you or worse than you, and they've continued to follow God anyway, if nothing else, so that they can contextualize and help you understand why suffering is not an argument against the existence of God. Suffering proves a God who doesn't allow suffering doesn't exist. And Christians have never believed in that God. You're like, I don't believe a, a, that a God could allow or, or that um, God doesn't allow suffering with good people. We, we, we've never believed that a God like that exists. In fact, on the contrary, and this is somewhat of a tension point. This is somewhat, this is somewhat disturbing. Christians believe that God was a God who allowed the worst possible thing to happen to the best possible person. And that's disturbing, but we believe it because it happened. And so in this series, I'll come back to that in a second, in Awakenings Part 6, here's what we've said all throughout this series, is that God's agenda and goal for your life, if you would ever move in God's direction, or if you're a follower of Jesus, or you're considering it, God's goal for you is that somehow you would move to a place in your life where you have active, bold, in spite of, courageous, I'm going to trust and I'm going to believe God anyway. It's why from the very beginning, Jesus' invitation was very specific. I want you to follow me. And Jesus never wavered from that invitation. The church did. Because over time, the invitation to follow me became believe in me. And here's the only thing with that. Believe in me is a lot easier. Believe stuff about me is much safer. Believe things doesn't require you to change anything. 
And so it makes sense that over time, the church would just move to just believe in stuff, which also leads to a lot of the hypocrisy where we can kind of believe a set of things and then ignore other things and just think that belief is the goal. So I can mistreat a whole group of people and still hold to a couple beliefs and think that I'm good with God when God's goal was never that you would just believe stuff. God's goal is that you would follow me in every area of your life. That's a different invitation, right? As we've said in this series, it's really getting up every day to go, okay, what, what would I do if I was absolutely confident that God was with me? What would anybody do in a failed marriage? What would anybody do when God hasn't answered a prayer in three years? What would anybody do who just failed out of this semester? What would anybody do who's dealing with this shame and guilt, but somehow has maintained confidence that God is with them anyway? How would you respond? Like, how would you live? What would you give up? What would you do? What would you decide? Because the goal is that God would lead you to a place where you have not just obedience. I've said this all throughout the series. The currency of any relationship is trust. You can raise your kids to be obedient, but hate you at 25. God's goal is not just your perfect obedience. God would rather have you have like 75% obedience, still struggling with some crap, but trusting him and moving in his direction and following him. And so in this series, we've really asked this question. Okay, so what are the catalytic things that leads us to awaken our faith? to discover or rediscover our faith, to have absolute confidence in God. And so, it, listen, if you have not listened, watched the series, go back on YouTube, Centerpoint Church Florida app. I would love for you to get this because this is foundational. A lot of what we do in program and strategize as a church are around these things. But what we've talked about is this, that one of the things is practical teaching, that somewhere along the way, you didn't just get something that was deep and you walked away and it was like, that was so deep, I have no idea what to do with that. But somebody broke it down, made it practical, answered the questions that you're asking, and then you were willing to risk and actually do something with it. And when you do your faith intersects with God's faithfulness and you experience God, you begin to have a track record with God. The other thing that we talked about um, in this series in terms of what grows your faith is personal ministry, that somewhere along the line, God's gonna prompt you to step out of your comfort zone because if every area of your life is comfortable, guess what? There is no area where God is working in a significant way. Comfort zones are great, they're not healthy. And so at some point, God is gonna move you beyond your feelings of inadequacy and move you into personal ministry, in the church, in a nonprofit, moving in the direction of somebody where you just feel a lot of apprehension and God's gonna grow your faith through it. The third thing we talked about is providential relationships. At some point along the way, you weren't looking for it. You were walking through a difficult time. You felt lost or you just needed connection. And it's like out of nowhere, God, then that guy got dropped into your life. Then you started dating that girl. Then you had that coach. Then you met that youth pastor. And there was somebody that seemingly God providentially dropped in your life. And it began to change everything in terms of your relationship with God in terms of growing your faith. And then last week, um, private disciplines, like those, those catalytic things that over time move from I ought to to I want to and those connection pieces that draw you closer in terms of your relationship with Jesus because God's entire goal is relationship with Jesus. And then today as I end the series, I wanna talk about what you could describe as pivotal circumstances. Talked about in a book, Deep and Wide, describes this so well, but pivotal circumstances are basically those events or moments in your life where a lot of times it's in retrospect, but those events end up being events that define and shape your faith either positively or negatively. Like all of you know this, when you walk through a really difficult time, those times have the ability to cause you to abandon faith or they have the ability to awaken faith that you never had. And so pivotal circumstances are one of the things that God is gonna use to blow up, to move, and to define your faith. And generally, you could describe them this way. They're disruptive, they're catalytic, and they're defining. A lot of times they're positive. It could be when you got married and that marriage actually was one of the things that pushed you closer to God, pushed you closer to a relationship with Jesus. It may be when you had your first kid. Um, I always describe this as, I, like I will never forget that emotion of being handed Brooke and being up all night that first night. And then two or three days later, um, we were sent home and just like that, that old crap moment of like, do these people know what they're doing to give us this kid and just send us home? Like we had no idea what we're doing and you're terrified. I don't know if that was anybody else's experience, but I was absolutely terrified. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. 
And I'm telling you, I, I don't wanna go too long on this because I'll, I'll get emotional, but I, like, there was never a moment where I experienced what I experienced when, when I had Brooke, our first kid, where I, I looked at her and thought, if I can love this little girl this much, like how much does my heavenly father love me? And I'd never experienced that before. And so God may use that. God, God may use the positive experience of a new opportunity or career or a business or, or whatever. But a lot of times it's a negative experience as well. It's those things that you would never choose to walk through where it's the loss of a marriage and you're never gonna get that back. It's the loss of a child. And there's no way you could ever be prepared for that. It's, it's the worst nightmare for any individual. And those dark nights, you're either gonna abandon God or it's gonna be something that, that your faith sustains you and moves you through. It may be a health crisis, a diagnosis, it may be a career loss, but it is in those moments where God begins to do something for your faith. And it may be in those moments where you look, look up for the first time in a long time to go, okay, God, if you are there, I need you. And in fact, this is what I know because I've done this long enough. I know that today sitting in these seats and watching online and podcasting in different places all over, there's people that you are right there right now. And in fact, it's freaking you out a little bit because that's where you are. And it's the reason you're listening and watching and in church because for the first time you're kind of figuring out or you're at least thinking about God, which makes you really nervous because you haven't done that in a while. And now I'm talking about it right now but you are right in that place walking through that thing right now and you're wondering, is there faith? Can I maintain faith? Can I get my faith back? And you were fine until you weren't. And you had everything figured out until you didn't. And now you're in a place where you become interested or reinterested again because of what you're walking through. This may be overquoted, but I can't help it. One of my favorite theologians and authors, C.S. Lewis said this, that God whispers to us in our pleasure and he speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And even if you don't know God, you, you maybe kind of intuitively know that, that it's in those moments that if there is faith to be had, those moments have the potential to awaken that faith and cause you to start asking big questions, maybe for the first time, because you are fine without God until you weren't. Now here's the thing, because when you start talking about this subject, and, and this is, because I'm somewhat cynical sometimes and I'm working on that, this is what I would think if I were you. Okay, I feel like this is Christianity's version of being a PR, God, PR guy for God. Like you need to somehow have an excuse for him to prop him up. Like why God would allow injustice and suffering and bad things to happen to good people. And so you've got to come up with some kind of explanation for that. And I get all of that. I would probably think the same way. But here's what you need to know. That from the very beginning, the New Testament authors who suffered in ways that most of us cannot ima imagine, they confronted this whole issue, this dynamic, this, this tension head on. They never backed away from it. And over and over again, they suffered physically. Many of them gave up their lives, were persecuted for what they said they believed. In fact, John, who's exiled to an island of Patmos, sits down and writes these defining words that many of you know, even if you didn't grow up in the church, where he says, listen, I was with Jesus. I spent time with Jesus. I was there the night around the table when we were eating and drinking wine before he was gonna be crucified. And I'm telling you, as I spent time with Jesus, as I talked to him, as I hung out with him for three years, the essence of who he is, God in a body sent from God the Father, Jesus, the personification of love, that Jesus is love. And you're going, John, how could you say that? And John's like, not because of my experiences or because of my current circumstances. I'm on an island. Nothing is going well for me. This is not what I envisioned for my retirement. And ultimately I'm going to be crucified for what I say I believe. And yet I believe that the essence of who God is, is love. And that even though I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is good and he is with me and he is working something for my good. And I will never let go of that because I saw face to face a resurrected Jesus. What's, what's really interesting is the New Testament authors, they confronted this tension head on. They dealt with suffering and they dealt with tension of suffering and injustice and a good God. And yet what's really interesting that I don't have time to unpack today is the whole idea of this huge 
like seeming dichotomy in our minds that there could be a good God and that there could be suffering in the world. That whole tension that causes us sometimes to walk away from God is somewhat of a new phenomenon and it is a phenomenon born in the West. In fact, all around the world in many different religions, this isn't a struggle around the world. Now there's a lot of other struggles around God and does God exist, but it's not around pain and suffering and good God. In fact, in ancient times, that wasn't a huge tension point for them. It's a huge tension point in the West and it's a huge tension point for American Christians because we have done so little suffering. And so this idea that how could there be suffering in a good God? Most generations have not struggled with that tension. And most places around the world right now, you can say it for yourself, don't struggle with that tension. But we struggle with that tension. And so Jesus' first century followers who experienced all of it faced it head on. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, who ultimately would be stoned to death, which is one of the most excruciating ways to die, I I read, I don't know, that there is. And James eventually is gonna be persecuted in unimaginable ways. And so he sits down to write. James, the brother of Jesus, by the way, thought his brother was crazy along with all of his other siblings and then believed his brother was his Lord and Savior. Because of the fact, not because Jesus did miracles, your sibling could do all kinds of miracles, still would not convince you they were a Messiah. He rose from the grave and it was at that point that all of Jesus' brothers and sisters went, I think there's something to this guy. And James sits down and he writes this and and, and he says, listen, basically trials are tests. Okay, so what do they test? Well, here's what James says, James 1.3. You know that the testing of your faith Basically, the testing of your confidence in God. To circle back around to where I started at the beginning. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Specifically, it produces persevering faith. Here's the thing that you need to know. Anytime you've met somebody and you would characterize them as they just have crazy faith, Like those certain individuals that walk through stuff and there's a moment where you just wonder, are they just naive? Do they not face down truth? Do they know how bad it is? And then you discover that they do and somehow they're walking through it anyway and they're just trusting God and they just still believe God and they're still confident even though that God hasn't answered a prayer in 10 years and their circumstances seem so disconnected from how could there be a good God but they just believe there's a good God anyway. They believe that God has a purpose. They believe that God is working all things together for good. If you have ever met those people with that kind of crazy faith, it is because their faith somewhere along the way has been tested wrinkle-free days when all of the trend lines are up and to the right do not produce great faith. In fact, and this is somewhat uncomfortable, we don't know what we actually believe until what we claim to believe is tested. You think you know what you believe. If it's never been tested, you don't really know what you believe. One of the stories um, of watching this man from a distance over a number of years, um, and you may know him, maybe you've seen him, preach or seen him on TV, Greg Laurie, um, lost his son in a car accident um, when he was 33 years old in 08. And he's an incredible preacher, incredible evangelist, speaks all over mainly the West Coast. But like, after hearing his story of walking through what is, again, unimaginable, like the valley of the shadow of death, and then hearing his story of how he persevered and trusted God anyway, and their hearts were ripped out, and they experienced all of the emotions that you would imagine it, it, And at the same time, somehow we're able to lean in and go, God, we're gonna follow you anyway. We're gonna trust you anyway. We're gonna believe in your goodness anyway. And I'm telling you, when you see those kind of stories, it causes you to lean in because there is a weight to everything that they say. The same is true, and I've repeated this story so many times, watching my dad and my mom walk through the death of my brother when my brother was 27 years old. And, And I'm telling you, when you watch them walk through that, with all of the emotions that you would expect, but somehow maintaining faith and confidence in God, you lean in because that is a faith that is real. That is a faith that is tested. Those are the moments that you understand. Do I really believe what I say I believe? To quote Greg Laurie, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. If your faith, listen to me, if your faith has never been tested or you've never been able to walk through that dark night of the soul and come out with faith on the other side, you don't really know what you believe. 
It's why over and over again, Jesus would leverage this to test his disciples. We looked at this several times in this series where Jesus would literally, and again, this is uncomfortable, but it's Jesus. Jesus would literally create opportunities. He would make up pivotal circumstances in order to lead his disciples because he knew eventually they were gonna lead the whole movement. And that if he didn't produce and grow up great faith in them, they would never survive. They would never last. So one day we looked at this in part two, Jesus with his guys, there's thousands of people they need fed. The disciples are like, we, there's nothing we can do about this. And Jesus turns to them and says, you guys give them something to eat. Jesus created that circumstance. It wasn't happenstance. Jesus didn't get to five o'clock and be like, oh, I should have been paying attention. Jesus cued the whole thing up. And then he tells his disciples, I want you to walk into this crowd under the threat that there may be a mob if you can't feed everybody, but I want you to just do what you know to do. And then as you walk into the crowd, I want you to trust that God's gonna come through because God was building persevering faith in them. And then later there's a story of Lazarus where Jesus and his disciples hear about the fact that Lazarus, by the way, Jesus' best friend, and they hear that Lazarus is very sick and about to die. And so his disciples do what anybody would do. They rush up from the table, throw their chairs aside and begin to run out the door to go meet Lazarus and get Jesus so that Jesus can help him. And Jesus like, sit back down. I'm like, what are you talking about? Lazarus is sick. We gotta go sit back down. We're gonna stay here. And for three days, Jesus stays put while his friend, this is so uncomfortable, suffers and dies and then he's like, we should go to Lazarus. Like, what? And everybody was confused. And everybody was rightfully ticked off, including Lazarus's sisters. They felt exactly what we feel. Jesus, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. So why are you showing up three days late? And Jesus, so uncomfortable, sets up a scenario for the very purpose of growing, expanding, and, sh and showing off his faith in order to grow their faith. And so he shows up at the tomb of Lazarus three days later so that he could demonstrate something in such a way that they would nev never be the same again. And then over and over again, he continues to do this with his disciples toward the end of his ministry. Jesus tells Peter, Peter, your faith is about to be tested in a way that you can't even imagine. And I love that Jesus knew this ahead of time. And, and Peter, you're gonna fail. But even then in that failure, I'm working something in you and I'm praying for you. And that failure can actually produce greater faith on the other side. So it's not the failure that's the end of the road for you, but even in that failure, I, I wanna do something inside of you that eventually prepare you for what I have up ahead. And in fact, Jesus says this and it is so powerful, but I, I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And for some of you, this may be comforting to you because you are walking through something right now and your faith is hanging on by a thread. Or you've walked through some things and there's been, there's been moments where you had no faith at all and you have angrily like looked up at the sky and maybe screamed at God. And I think even in that, God would say to you in the midst of that tragedy, that suffering, what you don't understand right now, hey, I'm praying for you. And just so you know, I'm praying for your faith. And I'm praying that you get to the other side. And even if you lose faith in me momentarily, my prayer is that that faith would be reignited and awakened and that somehow on the other side of this, your faith would be bigger and bolder than ever before. But just so you know, even in your disbelief, I'm praying for you. And Peter was so offended because he's like, Lord, I'm ready. And she's like, no, nope, you're not. No, 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 I I'm ready. I'm ready to go with you to prison. I'm ready to go to death. I'm ready to suffer. And Jesus is like, you're not you're not ready. But Peter thought he was ready. But he had a faith that had never been tested. He had never been in that moment before. He didn't really know what he believed until what he believed was on the line and he thought that he could make it through. And then he was confronted by a 13-year-old middle school girl in the courtyard. And he's like, I don't even know him. And he denies Jesus three times just as Jesus predicted. And then he watches Jesus after being with him and watching the miracles for three, three years, watches Jesus being crucified on the cross and Peter runs away as fast as he possibly can. No faith, faith failed. Test, it's like a 61%. And then I love this part of the story. And then Jesus meets Peter after the whole event, after this whole incident, they have breakfast on the beach and Jesus restores Peter on the other side of that and puts Peter in charge of the entire movement. 
Hey, I know, I know you failed. I know you walked through that and you had no faith. I know that you didn't trust me when it mattered most, but even that I was using to build something in you for the future. And so if you're ready to follow me now, I'm telling you, now your faith is ready. And in fact, I readied your faith through the failure that you experienced so that I could use you for your future. And I just wanna say to you that you maybe have failed a couple tests. You feel like you're failing the test in the moment. If you can muster up just enough faith in a resurrected Jesus to go, I'm just going to follow you anyway. God will do something even through the failure to produce greater faith for the future, to do what he wants to do in your life. And you are never too far gone from God reigniting and awakening what he wants to do in you for your future. And so two months later, Peter and John are going to the temple and this guy is, is on the temple steps. He's about 40 years old who couldn't walk. He'd been there his whole life. So people are stepping by him every day going into the temple. Some had seen him for 20 years. Some had seen him for seven years. It's just, he's there every single day, like Bob's on the steps of the temple. And Peter and John are going in and they heal this guy. And can you imagine, because we just like gloss right over this. Maybe you grew up in Sunday school and you heard it. They see this guy every single day. The next day they come to the temple, the guy that they have not seen walk for 20 years is walking and running and jumping up and down and, and going into the temple. And so it creates this massive uproar, which is a problem for the religious and the government authorities. And so they arrest Peter and John. This is two months after the resurrection. And they put them in prison and then they bring them out the next morning and they bring them before Annas and Caiaphas. And Annas and Caiaphas are the ones that basically orchestrated everything to bring Jesus before Pilate. And then ultimately they endorsed his crucifixion. And now because they had already killed Jesus, it was open season on Christians. In fact, they didn't even go through all of that red tape anymore. Now they just took them out and stoned them to death. And so there, Peter and John are two months later, the guys that cowered and hid and ran and denied Jesus to 13-year-old girls in courtyards. There they are before Annas and Caiaphas. And as they stand before them, they're asked this question, Peter's life is on the line. And he has not dealt with that very well in previous circumstances. And they say, this is one of my favorite passages on the scripture, Acts 4, 7. They say to Peter and to John, hey, by what name did you guys do this? And basically they're giving them an out. Are you guys still holding to the Jesus thing? Are you guys still talking about the whole Jesus rose? Like this is your opportunity to go, no, 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 misunderstanding. Like we're not with Jesus anymore. Like it's crazy what happened. I don't, we don't know really how he's walking, but like, no, 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 it's good. We gave up on all that. It's just let us go. Like this is the one, that's exactly what you would expect them to do based on their track record. And instead, Peter, two months later, seemingly signs his own death warrant. And he looks these guys in the eye and rather than running, rather than cowering, rather than making up a story, like, are you going to identify with Jesus? They had every reason not to. Peter looks at these guys in the eyes and says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified. Yeah, yeah, I know, Annas, Caius, I know you were the ones that had Jesus crucified. I know that I was running and huddled in upper room apartments, but I'm just telling you, something has changed. Eight weeks later, you guys crucified him. God raised him from the dead. So yes, we're still talking about Jesus. Yes, we're still perpetuating the message of Jesus. This man stands before you healed because of Jesus. And then verse 13, I love this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Basically, where in the world did they get this power? Where in the world did this confidence come from? Where in the world did they, did they get this boldness? Where in the world did this authority come from? And they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Tested faith is how you discover if you have real faith. And I'm not talking about salvation. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus coming and dying on the cross for your sin and walking out of a grave alive, you are secure in relationship with Jesus forever because it's based on your faith, not your performance. Jesus performed for you. All of that is settled and on the cross, his words echo through all of humanity. It's finished, it's done. If you place your faith and trust in me, 
even if you screw everything up for the next two decades of your life, you will stand before Jesus holy, perfect, secure, and worthy because Jesus was all of those things for you. But if you're talking about confident, bold, courageous, in spite of I'm just gonna believe God anyway, you don't get there until you've been tested there. And I gotta finish the story and I, and I gotta be done because they're telling me I have 18 minutes. That is not right, so don't worry. I'm wrapping it up. And I'm not gonna follow that, I promise. I promise. Tempted to, but I'm not. I love the end of the story. Peter and John get released. And they go back to this prayer meeting. Funniest story in the world because they're praying for Peter. God, do something, intervene miraculously and, and somehow spare Peter and John's life. And then somebody knocks on the door and some kid comes back to go, Peter and John are at the door. And they're like, no, he's not, that's stupid. God, please, like, he, they didn't even believe their, I didn't even believe that God was gonna answer their own request. Lo and behold, it was Peter and John. They come in and they start having a prayer meeting together and everybody's shocked and astonished as you would imagine. And then Peter and John in that moment, what do you think that they would pray for? Because American Christians, what we would pray for is, God, thank you for saving us. Now we pray that you would protect us and keep us safe and that you would watch over us and for your favor and also help us to find our car keys and like keep them safe and help them to get into the thing and da, da, da. And my retirement 401k is really tanked. Like that, that's what we begin to pray for. And after that kind of incident, come on, you would drop the God keep us safe about 49 times in that prayer. God, just watch over us. God, just keep us safe. God, just protect us. Peter and John get into that prayer meeting after facing down death and being unbelievably courageous. And you know what they pray for? God, give us boldness. And if I'm in the prayer meeting, because it's just me, I'm pretty sure I'd be looking around going, hey, shh, Peter, John, I think you got that covered already. I don't think you need to pray for that. You've already exhibited that you've got boldness. But they, where did that faith come from? It had been tested and God, in those moments where everything was flying out of, out of control, began to birth something in them that could not happen any other way. So what makes the difference? The question that I started with, and I think there's three things, and I'm gonna close with this. What we believe, who we listen to, how we frame it. What we believe, who we listen to, how we frame it. Listen, not everybody, but a lot of times people who lose faith, stories of deconversion, it's because their faith was flawed in the first place. It's because they had the wrong object for their faith. It was directed in the wrong direction. It's why I've said from the very beginning of this series, if, if you really wanna track with what God did through Jesus, the object of your faith has to be Jesus. It's not the church, it's not other Christians, it's not culture, it's not the religion that you grew up with, it's not your grandmother, it's not your catechism, it is Jesus. He is the object of our faith. And if Jesus does not become the object of our faith, when you are walking through those moments, what begins to happen is you assume what is not true and you claim what is not promised. You assume, how, there's no way that a good God can allow suffering. Says who? Because God never said that. In fact, he said the opposite of that but you begin to assume things that aren't even true, things that God never even taught, things that God never even modeled. And then the second thing that you do is you claim what is not promised. And listen, if I, I gotta not go off on a tangent. If, if one more person takes an Old Testament verse out of context and places it on a coffee cup and begins to pray it in prayer meetings, I'm gonna go crazy. Listen, same God, Old Testament and New Testament, completely different covenants. This is gonna sound arrogant, but most of you were taught wrongly. The Old Testament does not apply to you. That is an old covenant. Those are different promises to a different people. God, we humble ourselves and bow. You will heal our land. No, no, God may not heal your land. God may go Babylon or ancient Rome on your land. God may move it off of the landscape of history in order to usher in his kingdom that is not nation specific, not generationally specific. It is kingdom specific. And these ideas have led to some really evil, perverted stuff. One of them is the Christian nationalism that has Christianity siding with some right-wing American political agenda that sees no difference from Jesus. And it is a perversion of our faith. Ultimately, Jesus is committed to his kingdom across the world. And I love the United States of America. The United States of America is not the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Followers of Jesus are the light of the world. And by the way, just 
quick lesson globally. That light is shining brightest right now in communist China. We're not the center of anything. Jesus in his kingdom is the center of everything. And one day he's going to usher that kingdom in and he is going to set up a new heaven and a new earth. And it's why he gave you the heads up because I know this is so uncomfortable where Paul said, listen, just so you guys know, because I know it's going to be difficult for you. You are foreigners and you're strangers in this land. You are not home yet. One day you're going home. Could I be any clearer? You assume what's not true, you claim what's not promised. That's the what, and then the second thing that leads you, that was a whole different message I didn't even plan on, but there it is. (laughs) Who we listen to, because if we don't have the right people to contextualize pain and suffering, you'll draw all of the wrong conclusions. That's the who. Who you have around you when you are walking through pain and tragedy and suffering may determine everything. One day, Jesus is with his apostles and they see a man who's been born blind and we looked at this earlier as well, but just to reference it one more time, they, they immediately ask the question, hey, just a quick question, who sinned, this guy or his parents? And Jesus is like, neither. And fortunately, Jesus was there to contextualize and give them understanding to go, that's not how God works. You're drawing completely wrong conclusions, completely wrong assumptions. And instead, Jesus says this, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This has nothing to do with sin. This has everything to do with God's glory. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about that blind man. And it was because the disciples, the apostles, had Jesus to contextualize. And then that leads to the third thing, the who, the what, and then the how All of that is gonna determine how you frame it, who you have around you to contextualize in the midst of your suffering to go, hey, listen, I know this is how you feel, but God is still with you. God is still good. God is still doing something. God is still working. Do not abandon him because he has not abandoned you. His silence does not mean his absence. His inactivity does not mean his anger. All of that was handled on the cross. Don't give up faith. And it's determined by what you believe about who you have around you. And ultimately, how you frame it. And I think for a lot of us, that makes the difference of whether as we're walking maybe right now through that thing or we're about to walk through that thing, it makes the determining factor about whether that event will awaken and build your faith or whether it's gonna undermine your faith. And here's what you know, I don't have to tell you this. Disruption, pain, suffering, unavoidable. In fact, sometimes it seems more like the rule than the exception. And in those moments, whether we like it or not, none of us would choose it. Those are the moments God awakens faith. Those are the moments that God builds something in you that you can't manufacture any other way. And it's when you begin to view what you are walking through through the, through the lens of what he has said about it that God begins to awaken faith, awaken faith. It's why one of the things that I pray almost every day, it's just part of my routine, because I think this prayer is so important, and I'll just pray, God, help me to see the way you see. Because so often I look at circumstances and I see it from my veiled perspective, and it's in no way in accordance with how you see it. God, help me to see people the way you see people. Help me see the world around me the way that you see the world around me. Another way you could pray it is, God, help me to see your hand in this. This is so random, but this came to my mind from the band Train. I need to see a sign to let me know you're here. Because if we can spot God in it, we are more likely to maintain faith through it. On the eve of the the worst three days of the disciples' life, when their faith would disintegrate, which should encourage you. As I've said so many times on Easter weekend, nobody had any faith. Everybody failed. Nobody passed the pop quiz. Nobody made it through. And Jesus said this to them as he was making all these promises that, hey guys, it's about to go bad. You have it all wrong. And what's about to happen to me is, is gonna be shocking and it's gonna be disturbing. And here's what John writes about Jesus' words. But I've told you these things so that in me, Jesus, you may have peace. Jesus is saying to them and to us, listen, if you will continue to see the world the way that I have taught you to see the world in your circumstances, 
I will produce peace in your life even as the storms rage. I've told you these things so you may have peace. In this world, you, I don't know how we miss this, will have trouble. In other words, God's going, the God who does not allow bad things happen to good people does not exist. You're like, I don't believe in that God. We don't believe in that God. Jesus promised, hey, just so you know, just so I give you a heads up, just so you're not surprised by this. I'm gonna give you peace and you're gonna need peace because you're gonna walk through trouble. There's gonna be moments where it all flies out of control. It's gonna be circumstances where your heart is ripped out. There's gonna be moments where you cannot understand why God would not intervene in this. But take heart. Hey, have faith. Just keep following me, even if it's weak faith. Trust me, because I have overcome the world. I'm a resurrected savior. You wanna know the basis for why you continue to follow me? Not because you can see God's hand in this not because God answered your prayer, not because you can connect the dots, not because it's all gonna work out, but because the best possible person in history suffered in the worst possible way. And then he walked out of a grave alive and he says to you, resurrection is coming. And one day, every evil thing will become untrue. Every injustice will be handled. Every wrong will be made right. Every infirmity will be healed. Every tear will be wiped away and you will stand complete and whole in me. And so he says to those guys, take heart, I've overcome the world. And they did. And it changed the world because the world is broken. You are broken. I am broken, you're not right and your heavenly father is good. And the people closest to Jesus, who suffered in ways that we cannot imagine, who followed in his footsteps, confirmed this for us. But maybe more than that for us, people all around you have confirmed that for you. Because as much as your pain and your tragedy, or maybe the pain and the tragedy in the world has caused you to wanna walk away from God, there are people all around you that have walked through unbelievable suffering. They have walked through the valley of the shadow of death and they have struggled with all of the same emotions, but they have trusted God anyway. They have believed Jesus anyway. They have continued to maintain faith anyway. And one of the things that God is going to use are those moments. And you don't get to choose it. It chooses you. And as maybe insensitive as this sound, if you're walking through it right, right now, don't waste this moment. Don't waste this season. God's doing something in your faith and you can continue to persevere because of Jesus who did not dodge suffering but entered into it and then overcame it so that you can continue to maintain faith knowing that your faith is not in vain. Would you guys stand with me? I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you're gonna have trouble. But take heart I've overcome the world. Just pray with me. Jesus, I thank you so much for, for who you are. And heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I just want to give people an opportunity in this moment to respond because for you, the invitation is you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus. And the scripture says that's the center point of everything. That Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for our sin, our dysfunction, that thing in us we know, we're just not right. And then he walked out of a grave alive which substantiated and confirmed everything that he said. The reason we believe is not the Bible, the reason we believe is the resurrection of Jesus. And so right now I just wanna give you a chance to respond because there's people online and in prisons and in dorm rooms and different places listening and watching and this is your moment and you didn't plan on this. And in fact, this is the last thing you thought it kind of scares you. For some reason, not because of my preaching, but because of the spirit of God, you're at a moment where you would just go, I believe. So I just want to give you a chance to respond with nobody looking around. You can pray this prayer after me. The prayer doesn't save you. It's just a 
declaration of your own faith and the words don't even have to be right. But pray this right where you're at in your own heart and own mind. Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you rose again. And right now I'm trusting what you've done and not what I can do. One more time, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that three days later you rose again. And right now I'm trusting what you've done, not what I can do. And if that's you with nobody looking around, would you just lift up your hand? I'm not gonna ask you to do anything weird to go, this is the moment I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. For the first time, this is where I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus and crossing the line of faith. Anybody else? Yep. I wanna encourage you right where you're at, you can, you can text Centerpoint to 94,000. You can go to the tent out front. We'd love to give you a little information about this new journey and what could be your next steps. And for everybody else, would you just pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in this moment. I thank you for those that this is the crossroads where they needed this right in this moment. I pray that you would do something today that would give them just enough because of you and who you are to keep going. And that through this circumstance and event that they would never choose, that maybe they would look back and this would be the pivotal circumstance that would never leave their faith the same in a positive way. God, grow us to be bold, courageous, fearless in spite of followers of Jesus, to engage in practical teaching and do it, to, to practice those disciplines that are a catalyst for our faith to grow, to be open to those relationships and community groups that could change everything, to step out of our inadequacy and comfort zones to serve personally. Whatever step we need to take, I pray we'd be willing to do it. And I pray this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.